and welcome to the Aussie Pastor Live, right here on Faith FM. G'day, my name is Lloyd Grolleman, I'm the Aussie Pastor and welcome to the program today on a very, very special day in Australian history. This is Anzac Day. Happy Anzac Day, hunty. Yeah, thanks, mate. Good to be here as always. G'day, listeners. Thanks for having us. I don't know whether we'd call it a happy Anzac Day because it's really a, a remembrance day of, of all the wars and all the things we've lost, mm. the precious people who've given their lives in defence of this nation. Yep. For many, it's a sad day, but it's also a day to rejoice that we still live in freedom uh, and that God is still blessing this land. Yeah, indeed. Uh, you got any plans for Anzac Day, Hunty? You got, you, um, uh, yeah, after we finish here, I might go spend some time with my family. Okay, so you didn't go to the memorial march this morning? Mate, I was here in the studio getting ready for the program. So, ha- have no. you ever been to one of them? Yeah, yeah, I used to do sound and production for those. I, I, um, I find it very sobering, love it. And we have a special guest in the studio with us today. Yeah, if, we do. If you're on Facebook, on our Facebook Aussie Pastor page or the Faith FM page, we've got the best-looking guest we've ever oh, had in here, Hunty. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Indeed. Who we got? Do you want to introduce her, mate? Yes, Listeners, welcome with me, Danae Grolamond. Hello. <laughs> Danae's actually my daughter. Um, where, where are you? What do you do for, uh, for a living at the moment, Danae? Do you work or? Um, well, I'm currently a student at Avondale College. College? University. Oh, you'll get into trouble. If there's anyone from Avondale <laughs> listening, you're going to get into big trouble because yeah. your college just turned into a university, didn't it? Yeah. And it's a big so. deal, isn't it? Yeah. What are you doing there? I'm studying primary teaching, so I'm in my third year. It's a four-year course, so I've got one more year, and then I'm done. Ah, okay. So you're you're a third year. What sort of um, areas have you majored in at Avondale University? Uh, I've done a minor in creative arts. And oh, okay. then the rest, you just full primary teaching. We basically teach everything. So and have science, you enjoyed yeah. Avondale University? Oh, I've loved it. Where do you live there? I live in dorms. Really? I do. Okay. Is that good life? Oh, it's so fun. It's so fun. So how many girls would live in the dorms you live in? Oh, giddy aunt. Well, there's five levels, and let's just say every level is full. So okay. a lot. And do you, have, do you have a room with – do you room with someone, or do you have your own room, or how does that work? So in each level, everyone has their own room, yep. and you have RMs, which are residential mentors, and they just help you out. So I'm a residential mentor with two other girls on level one. So, so how many girls do you look after? Oh, I should probably know the answer to that, but oh, okay. um, I don't know. Just what, would it be 20, 30, 40, 50? Oh. Just, just a guess. Like 20, 25. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And you're enjoying it. Oh, I love it. It's okay. so fun. Well, welcome to the program yeah, today. And Thank you. We'll come back in just a little bit and we'll talk to you some more about Avondale. And um, Danae's going to share something with us today. When she shared it with me, it moved me. Maybe that's because I'm your dad. Probably. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> it was really very special. Hey, Hunty, it is April 25. It is. Shall we have a look at what happened in this day? Uh, indeed. What have we got today? 1719. Have you ever heard of a guy called Daniel Defoe? Uh, not really. Yeah, I have. He publi- He wrote and then published Rob- Robinson Crusoe. Uh, you know that story, eh? About a guy who gets stuck yes. on an island. Yes, yes. Well, that was published in 1719 on this day, April 25. Did you know that it was the first English novel ever published? No. No. That's very cool. Yeah, it is. It's very cool. Actually, the first English book ever published, I think, was it the Bible? 
you'd think it'd have to be. Maybe it? the Gutenberg Bible. It wasn't in English, so well, well I'm not, I better be careful. Let's move on. I'm kind of going into areas I'm not familiar with, Auntie. <laughs> in 1859, the construction of the Suez Canal began on this day, connecting the Mediterranean and the Red Sea. And I was going to ask you when I found this. So 1859, they began to dig it. Have you ever been through the Suez, Hunty? No, I have not. I'd love to do that. Oh, yeah, I was wondering whether you had or not, because I know you've been on a lot of boat cruises over there in Europe and the Middle East and that sort of thing. So. I've been blessed. Uh, what about this one? 1901, New York became the first U.S. state to mandate license plates when Governor Benjamin O'Dell Jr. signed a law. So they're the first ones. New York were the first guys. <laughs> May a curse be on them, Hunty, <laughs> yes. to bring in number plates. Now, the first thing I'm going to ask you to see whether you know. Yep. With the number plates, do you know what they used to put on the number plates? No, no idea. Their initials. So oh, yours would cool. be what? What? What is it? What? What? What are your full initials? A. A for Andrew. S for Stuart. H for Hunt. A S H. I'd be Ash. You, yeah, you'd be A S H. I'd be L M G. Danae, you'd be. You should know this. D R G. Yes. Test. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Guess how much those number plates cost a year? I have no idea. One dollar. One dollar. Of course. Well, hasn't it gone up? Hasn't registration? You've got a card tonight. I do. Registration's very bad, isn't it? Yeah, that's uh, a good chunk of money out of your pocket. How do you afford that when you're a student? I am a cleaner, so <laughs> I work when I'm at Avondale. So you work at Avondale, do you? I do. Uh, I, I do. Which is good, because if you never worked, Dad would have to pay your fees. And Dad, yeah, Dad, take a loan. <laughs> Dad, yeah, he would. Dad don't have a lot of money. Um, <laughs> the big one, um, 1915. The Anzacs, hmm. Australian New Zealand Army Corp, Corps, landed at Gallipoli on this day, uh, April 25, 1915. Just for both of you guys, see how much you know history. Were we the only ones who landed that day? Was it only the Australians and New Zealanders? Was there anyone else? Do you guys know the answer to that? Mm, well, there's um, a 50-50 chance. <laughs> tell us. No, don't know, huh? Okay. I'm going to say no. So who were the others? America. No, look, I'm going to... The Americans weren't even in the war. Oh. (laughs) At that stage. I don't... I better be careful. I don't think they were. They came in late. Later, yeah. They came in later in World War I and World War II. No, um, the biggest contingent that landed that day, April um, 25, 1915, on the Turkish coast, we were the invaders. We were the aggressors. We were attacking another um, nation's homeland. Uh, in the context of World War One, actually, what they're trying to do was start another front to drag the Germans, because the Turkish were uh, allied with the German to drag the Germans down from Europe so that they could have more success in Europe. That's what they're after, uh, up to attacking um, that Turkish peninsula, the English. Mm. Oh, yeah. There were more English than Australians and New Zealanders combined, and the English and the Aussies and the Kiwis. I think there might have been Canadians. There would have been other Allied troops there too. So we weren't the only ones. But because, you know, they'll say, oh, that's the first time that Australians went into battle. That's not entirely true either. Um, we fought in the Boer War at the end of the 1800s, which was in South Africa. In fact, it was Australian troops that broke through and arguably won that war in South Africa. So it wasn't the first time Australian troops had been into battle, but it was the first time that Australian troops under the Federation, which occurred in 1901, had gone into battle effectively under an Australian flag. Mm. Yeah, so that's that's that. Um, very sad. A lot of young men lost their lives, and I hope, Hunty, one day, maybe even this year, that we'll end up there. Mm, that'd be good. Yeah. Um, 
1990, the Hubble Space Telescope on this day, a sophisticated optical observatory built in the United States under the supervision of NASA, was placed into operation uh, by the crew of the Space Shuttle Discovery. You'd know a little bit about the Hubble, I'm thinking, Hunty. Yeah, I've um, looked into that over the years. These things yeah, that, stuff. That, that interest you. In 2015, a, a magnitude 7.8 earthquake struck near Kathmandu, Nepal, causing widespread damage and killing several thousand people. Birthdays, because we're running out of time, huh? Auntie yep. Al Pacino, wow, turns eighty-three today. And Renee Renee Zellweger, remember we used to we watched her movie about the she did a movie I can't remember what it was about the rabbits and Peter Rabbit and all that stuff. Oh, um, what Potter. Yeah, what's uh, I was going to say Harry Potter. It's not Harry no, Potter. No, it's, it's um, Mrs. Potter or yeah, something? Yeah, Mrs. Potter. Yeah. Remember, you used to watch that with us I when we were kids? I loved it. Well, that's Renee Zellweger. Do you know how old she is, Hunty? How old? 50? 53. 53. Yep. Yeah. I was always, as a young man, before I got married, in love with Renee Zellweger. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> She's a very special girl. Uh, welcome to our program today. It's going to be a good program. We've got Harold Harker it coming is. on. Uh, we're going to talk to Danae a little further, Hunty, and some good music. Is yeah. that right? Good music, good music, and great Bible study. And we're going to remember Anzac Day as well. So glad to have you, Hunty. You want to pray? Certainly. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, come humbly before you this afternoon on this very special day, Lord. We think of all those people who signed a blank cheque up to and including their lives. We pray for them, Lord, and we pray for their families. Also, Lord, I pray for all of our listeners this afternoon, Lord, that you will wrap your loving arms around them and bless our listeners in your precious name, Jesus, I ask. Amen. You're listening to The Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Okay, this song is called It'll Be Worth It All by the Browns. I like this song. It's talking about when we get to heaven, we look back on earth and all the troubles and the trials. And I mean Anzac Day, Danae. Mm. We're thinking of troubles and trials, remembering people who have suffered and gone through um, great challenges as Hunty just prayed, even losing their lives. Mm. And so this song, It'll Be Worth It All, I think it, it's talking about Jesus and how he gets us through. And when we get to heaven, we'll look back and say, yeah, it's okay. It was worth it all. Thanks, Auntie.
Sometimes the sky looks dark with not a ray of light. We're tossed and driven on. No human help inside, but there is one in heaven who knows. times I often think of what it'll be like when I get to heaven and you will reflect back we won't lose our memories when we get to heaven we will look back we will remember what it was like on earth we will remember what it was like to go through the difficult times with Jesus it will be worth it and I often think um, Danae and Hunty that when we get to heaven we will have a special testimony that no one else in the universe has because mm. we know what it's like to have gone through hard times. How old are you now, Danae? I was going to call you Magoo. Mm. That's um, her nickname, Magoo. Did you know that, Hunty? I did. Magoo. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. <laughs> I better be careful. I won't get, I, I, I'll, I'll get into trouble. But um, um, How old am I? Yeah. I'm 21. 21. Mm. Have wow. you had hard times in your life yet or not really? I have, but I know that, you know, I've got a lot more coming my way. 
Oh, that's wise, hunty. How safe. <laughs> Actually, you're going to talk to us in a minute about some of those hard times and how you got through. Yeah. Um, it is Anzac Day. For Australians and New Zealanders, it's a very special day. This is when we remember the sacrifice of those who died, but also those who did not die. Now, I'm going to tell you something, Danae, that you may or may not know, but we come from a military family. Did you know that? I did. Uh, your grandfather, my dad, was in the army. Yep. Did you know that? I did because dad makes sure to message me on Anzac Day with those information. Yeah, it is important. And your grandfather was... No, that's your grandfather, my dad, your grandfather. Your yep. great-grandfather, my grandfather, was in the army up in Papua New Guinea. Mm. In fact, your, 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 great, your great-grandparents on both sides, on your mother's and your father's, my side, were both in the military, were both uh, fighting uh, combat soldiers in World War II mm. up in New Guinea. Did you know that? I did. Now, your grandfather's on your mother's side. I used to talk to him a lot about it. Mm. He would be open and he would tell me how things were and what it was like, and it was pretty, pretty grim. Mm. He went through some real challenges in combat. My grandfather, this is on my side, mm. he had never talked about it. Mm. But he came back from war absolutely destroyed. So a lot of his mates, he actually fought. Have you heard of the Kokoda Trail? I have. Yeah, have you heard of the Kokoda Trail, Hunter? In fact, have you mm. been there, Hunter? Yeah, you? I've actually been to the Kokoda Trail. I bet you didn't walk it. I walked a little bit of it, so I, I could say I've walked it. I cannot imagine you surviving a walk on the Kokoda Trail. In fact, I'd go further. I cannot imagine either you or me surviving <laughs> well, the Kokoda Trail. Well, hang on. I was, I was in my early 20s. And oh, it's okay. quite possible Oh, so then. you haven't been there recently? No, not since the 80s. The fighting was so hard and so difficult up there as they defended Australia against the Japanese. And these are our, you know... Uh, our grandfathers, your great-grandfathers, my grandfathers, mm. um, my grandfather. Um, when he came back, my grandfather, mm. he lost a lot of mates up there, but his life was destroyed. Mm. Um, he never recovered from World War Two. So the casualties in war of men and women who go out to protect this nation is not just those who die. Often it's those who survive and come back. And your grandfather, my dad, mm-hmm. was a chaplain in the U.S. Army during the Gulf Wars, and he used to tell me uh, how young American soldiers would come back from that war and how destroyed emotionally and mentally and even physically they were. Mm. Um, War is an inhumane thing that we as humans are not used to, Um, and it's a serious thing. Hunty, I don't know whether you ever went to the War Memorial Cemetery up there in Ley. Uh, yes, I've been there. Yep. It was right next to our Seventh-day Adventist Union headquarters office. And I went to stay there. I was doing a program once. And Have you been for a walk through that cemetery? Yeah, I have. How old did you say you were, Magoo? 21. Me, yeah, 21. Most of the kids, most of the men, kids, I say kids, lying in that cemetery are younger than you. Mm. The 18, 19, 20... 21, 22, 23-year-olds. And when I walked through that cemetery looking at these men, Aussies and Kiwis, who'd given their lives for their nation so we can live in freedom that we have today, I tell you what, it was it was sobering and it brought tears to my eyes. Did you feel emotional, Hunty, when you went through it? Yeah, I, I get very emotional when I, when I think of how young and how big the sacrifice was. I mean, most of them were just kids. Mm. Barely started life, younger than you. Tonight, mm. 
And it's very, very sobering. So I want to remember them today. I want to thank God for their sacrifice. And I also want to remember our veterans out there who might be listening, who've been to war and come back and are wounded physically, mentally, even spiritually, are damaged. We want to remember you. We want to say thanks today. and We want to recognize your sacrifice for our nation so we can live in freedom. And the freedom we live in is a big deal, and we have much to thank a lot of people for it. Over 100,000 men and women have died in battle for Australia. That's a lot of people. Mm. And I'm just wondering, as we remember, Hunty, whether you would mind reading the ode. Sure. And then when you've read the ode, we wouldn't usually do this on radio, but this is a special day. Yep. I wonder whether we could have the last post, and as you're listening, perhaps you could say a little prayer of thanks to God for these men and women. Pray for their families, especially the families that have been hurt and wounded by the war. And I look forward to a day when Jesus comes and there will be no more war. There'll be no more pain Mm. and there'll be no more death. Thank you for the ode, Mm. Hunty. They shall grow not old, as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun... And in the morning, we will remember them. We will remember them. This is Lee Kernigan with some friends, and he's singing about the Anzacs. We do not know this Australian's name, and we never will. We do not know his rank or his battalion. He may have been one of those who believed the Great War would be an adventure too grand to miss. He may have felt that he would never live down the shame of not going. The unknown soldier honours the memory 
of all those men and women who laid down their lives for Australia. We've lost more than 100,000 lives, but we've gained a legend and a deeper understanding of what it means to be Australian. He's a drover drifting over western plains He's a city lad, a clock down Flinders Lane They're in the trenches at Lone Pine And on the Flanders firing line A wheeling band of ordinary men He's all a man He's one of us On the Armadale
Anzac Day. Did you know, Danae, and you probably don't know this, that your dad's the first one in three or four generations in our family not to be in the military? Well, yeah. now I do. Yeah, no. Even, in fact, uh, my cousin is in the, the Navy. You didn't know that, did no, you? No, I didn't. Yeah, so there, there you go. go. So um, right down through the generations, we've been a military family. Mm. But I'm in a different military, I guess. Mm. I'm in the Army of the Lord. That's a, that's an army, isn't it, Hunty? Absolutely. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, news stories today. Well, there's Anzac, of course. And yep. um, do you remember Danae when you were in Pathfinders, which is like scouts going down to march in the Anzac Day thing at Warunga? Did you ever do that with yeah, the Pathfinders? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was just thinking of our new Pathfinder Club, Hunty. And for those of you who don't know, it's like scouts, but it's in the Adventist Church. Yeah. Maybe we need to get our Pathfinders down there soon because it's a brand new club. Yep. It's time um, commemorating Anzac Day. Yep. Yep. Um, but a couple of news stories that came out today, which I thought were interesting. The extreme measures Aussies are going to to get rentals now in the in that in both Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne, people are now starting to protest on the streets, Hunty. Yeah. Well, it's a very sad situation that we're currently facing. Well. It's serious because in Sydney, in the suburbs we live in, the cheapest rental you could probably get is, what, 700 And most of them, remember we were talking to our mechanic not long ago, Hunty, and he was praying for a four-bedroom house just up the road from where you rented, what, $1,000 a week? Yep, 1000 bucks a week. And we all know the sort of money we're on, which is pretty average. I don't know how you can afford $1,000 a week for rent. And you wonder where – I think this is where families are starting to – don't you go and get married – oh, I better not say that. Right. I was going to say that. Danae, don't you go and get married and come and live at Dad's place. But if you get no. married, you can come and live at Dad's place and you can have as many kids there as you want. Oh, my giddy aunt. I'll, su- well. I'll support you and I'll look after you. And- well, it's just too expensive for someone my age to be able to live in Sydney. If you well, look at it, unless I live with Dad. So if when you finish your course, yeah. you move to Sydney, you're going to come and live with Dad? Absolutely. What if you get married? Because um, you have got a boyfriend. Whoa. For all those boys watching <laughs> online right now, this girl is taken. Oh, my giddy aunt. <laughs> I am. Um, uh, what would you do? If I was to come back to Sydney yeah. and I got married, yeah. well, I don't know because for someone, you'd have to go into a share house or something with some mates. because Even unless, married? Yeah, because unless you live with your parents, unless you want to be in debt for 30 years with your partner, there's just no way. Is that why I've still got a 23-year-old son at home? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> but you're going to have to save up. You're going to have to live with someone or some mates for a few years, quite a few years, mm. to save up the $300,000 deposit you need now for a house in Sydney. Yeah. Well, around, around our area, where we live in Riverston, mm. you can see families actually all piling in and living together. Yeah. To survive. Mm-hmm. I think that's where it's coming to. Yep. We're going to have to go back to the old days where families all jumped in together. Oh, well, that won't be too bad, would it? No. You, look, honestly, <laughs> you'd be welcome at home. We've got the spare bedroom downstairs, which oh. has its own toilet and shower, don't that's we? True. Yeah, You'd be that's completely true. okay. Come on home, girl. Come on home. How would you feel about bringing your kids back to your place, auntie? Uh, yep. No, they'd be more than welcome. You wouldn't I'd mind? love to have them back. Yep. Yeah, it wouldn't worry especially, you? Especially my grandkids. <laughs> well, how, you've got one. How many? You've only got one. Is that right? I've only got one at the moment, but that's uh, that's. Um... Have you got some news you want to announce on radio? Or... <laughs> oh wow. No, but I think it'll only be one for a short time longer. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Lovely. Well, look, it's it's tough out there. Um, I don't know what the answer is. People, 
I know the food banks are being inundated now by people who are desperately trying to, to get food mm. because they're paying it all in rent. We're not talking about people buying houses here. I mean, I have no idea how people on these mortgages are going to survive. Mm. Forget about the renters just for a moment. Not that we forget about them, but you know what I mean. D- just put that discussion aside for a second. How people, as interest rates continue to climb, and I have this tiny little loan mm. on our farm. And I've seen how interest rates have gone up on that, and I've just thought, oh, wow. And I multiply it five, six, seven, eight, nine, sometimes ten times to what young people like you, Danae, are paying. And you're thinking, Hunty, this is – you wonder whether this is going to break. Mm. Yep, yep. Um, the second one I think is also quite stunning. You, you know, you've spent a lot of t- – you've spent more time in Europe than I have, Hunty. Yeah, I love, um, I love Europe. I don't think you've been to Europe. No, I haven't. I'd love to, though. Yeah, you will. Your time will come. <laughs> um, probably not on Dad's credit card, but your yeah. time will come. Look, it's expensive. That's what I've heard. It is expensive. You live there for a while, Hunty, working and living there. Is that right? Um, yeah, I've, I've, I've gone there a number of times and worked there, but I've not ever had permanent residence there. One thing I, I noticed in Europe um, when... I was there in the summer, and I've only been to Europe in the summer. I've never been there in the winter like you, Hunty. What's it like in the winter, by the way? You know, I thought it would be fantastic. I always wanted to, to see what it would be like to drive my car in the snow to work and, yep, yep. and be hit by an open fire. I thought, this is how romantic, how gorgeous. But you know what? Scraping ice and snow off the windscreen every morning and afternoon and trying to get to, trying to, get to work in traffic when your car won't even move. No, I, I realised after only a week this is a bad idea. So it's not like winter in the United States when we were there, Danae. We, no. we oh, loved it. beautiful. That yeah, was you so remember we went. Remember we went on that trip to the US? I do. We tobogganed down the hill and we went skiing. But you remember what we could do? We could be up in the snow or we could come down out of the snow. Yeah. So in the United States, in some places anyway, you've got in, – in where we were in California, you had that op- option and we loved it. In yeah. the snow, out of the snow. But you're saying when you're in the snow, it's a big deal, Hunty. When you're locked in the snow 24-7, <laughs> all of a sudden it becomes something you have to battle. Oh, Okay. I could imagine that, to be honest. I've often thought about how claustrophobic it would be to be in a snowstorm if the snow went up over your door and over your windows and up to your roof. Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm out there with, the, I don't know, the heater. or the, Do you have hot blowers or something over there, Hunty, to melt the just, snow? I, I don't know. just take hot water out there and try and melt the, melt the windscreen and get into the car. Well, don't, don't you break your windscreen if you put hot water on it? Yeah, if it's too hot, you'll definitely crack your glass. You've got to be careful. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think you could even throw water on your windscreen, like cold water. Well, sometimes if it's too cold, it turns into snow before you get I into the windscreen. I had rental cars. <laughs> well, this is amazing because I know there are a lot of people who are, who, who are out there who don't buy climate change. But for the first time, it's just come out last summer. And I was in Europe in the summer. And the one thing that amazed me is you'd go – I remember when I was there one summer, I went up the top of a, uh, a pass in my car. I was going across the pass in the car. And I stopped at a place where there was a lookout. And it was snow, it was, there was snow everywhere. This is the middle of summer. And there were some guys that had hiked to the top of a mountain – in the middle of summer, they were snowing down this mountain. Well, last year, you couldn't do it because there was no snow on the Alps for the first time in history. Mm, very sad. Mm. Something's going on with our weather. Whether you're, whether you're a, a believer in climate change or not, there is something really, really wrong at times on this planet with the weather. Some people say there always has been. But when you see glaciers disappearing, when you see no snow on the Alps in the summer in Europe, you've got to go, wow. 
And then this last one, Hunty. I was interested in this. I always like to bring these ones back to you because I know you have a, a bit of an interest in electric cars. I do. All the go. Actually, I'd like an electric car. You know why I mm, want an electric too. car today? Guess why. You, see how well you know your dad. Oh why do I want an electric car? Can you imagine? Is it cheaper? <laughs> I don't know. That, are they Perfect. cheaper, Hunty? Yes. <laughs> well, if you harvest the sun off your own roof, with your but own what solar if you panels, don't? What and if you your don't? own batteries and power your car yourself, you can definitely say. But what money. if you don't? What if you're just an average bloke who lives in town and you've got to power your car up? Is it cheaper or not? That's not what this news story is about, by the way. Well, it is actually cheaper. And that's not actually... why I want an electric car, so you are wrong. Oh. A petrol at $2.50 a litre, or whatever it gets to from time to time. Um, two fifty a litre. Well, what's it? Two twenty at the moment. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I think my wife filled up the other day at two twenty or something for oh, her wow. little car. Yeah, oh. awful, awful. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So you can, you can you can be ahead if you even if you're not making solar yourself. Okay. What I want an electric car because they're fast. Oh my goodness. They're lightning fast, and I've got Hunty to blame for that because he's the one who told me that. Yeah, they you are. Reckon fast. they are really fast. Yeah, I mean, ridiculously powerfully fast. fast. But what about this idea of Anthony Albanese, our, our beloved Prime Minister, who's um, decided that he will put a, I don't know what you'd call it, some sort of a, 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 a restriction on each of the companies, Toyota, Honda, Holden, well, not Holden anymore, GM, Ford, um, Hyundai, uh, Subaru, etc., so that they've got to keep their... Uh, Carbon levels across the range, down to a across the range, hunty, down to a certain level. What do you think about that idea? Look, I fully support it, but he has to get the horse in front of the cart. Right now, if you live in an apartment building in the city, you can't charge your car because the car parks don't have a power points for every car space, and B, if they did have, have a power point for every car space, they certainly didn't have enough electricity. Neither does the grid on the street, neither does the street in the suburb, neither does the suburb in the city. In fact, right now, they're talking about rationing power over winter because we just lost the Dell power station. That's one of the coal-fired power stations that just closed. No plan to reopen another coal-fired power station. So I guess uh, to, our, to our Prime Minister, Mr Albanese, I say to him, it's a great idea, let's go green, but let's get the steps in place first that will allow us to go green. Right now we haven't got enough electricity and there's no way people can charge them up in most of Sydney. Well, I've got another problem. What's that? Say you're Toyota. Yep. And you're told that you're only allowed to put out uh, so many cars with emissions, which is what this strategy and plan does. What does Toyota do when Australians are buying utes and not electric cars? Yeah, I think Albanese needs to also understand that people buy utes, builders, tradesmen, they buy utes so they can carry heavy loads and go and do work. So, a so take it further, car, though. What happens, Hunty? Not, don't want to interrupt you, but I, what, yeah, what, I think what happens when you've sold so many utes and there's Aussies out there who need more for work and they can't get them because Toyota's filled up their emissions target? Yeah, I think he'll have, a, he'll have a major backlash from the motoring public if his restrictions become so so draconian that people can't get the vehicle they need for work. I think it'll be a real problem, and I'm saying this because I've got brothers in who are the tradies. Yep. And they've got to have. You can't go and buy a little electric car um, to run a building business like my, both my brothers run. Um, I'm all for electric cars myself, but the problem is in Australia right now, there are not really any electric utes, and the guys who make the electric utes are not bringing them to this country because they can't sell them in enough mass to make the money they want. So yep. where do we go? That's right. 
Oh, boy. I tell you what, that's going to be an interesting one. Um, do I want an electric car? Yes, I do. Do I think we've got issues with... Uh, um, Climate change, etc. Yeah, actually, I, I do think we do, but I think we've got to manage our way into this, auntie. That 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 makes sense. And I think what you were talking about, the electricity, is a big deal. Do we even have enough sure electricity is. to run these cars? Um, well, not while they're talking about this winter having to to ration electricity. There's certainly, if we're if we're talking about having to go into load sharing this actual winter in Sydney, then we certainly can't all of a sudden have everyone have an electric car, that will just not work. I guess I'm in a place where I don't believe that's going to happen, but let's hope. <laughs> you know what, Hunty, when you see the, the extreme problems people are having finding places to live in, when there's no snow on the Alps, and when you look at the struggle we're having to protect the environment with our cars and all the rest, so I think in the end we've got... The, the real answer is to look up. Jesus is coming, and when he comes, all these things will be solved. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. This is Gold City singing a song I really like, Hunty. Yep. It, it moves along this song. It's called God's Building a Church. And God is building a church here on earth. And the reason he's building a church because the church, people, especially Aussies, we think of the church as buildings and denominations and institutions. It's actually not. Do you know what the church is, Danae? Have I put you on the spot? Yeah, you put me on the spot. What about you, Hunty? What's the church? Uh, I was thinking queuing up the next part of the, the next songs. I wasn't listening. <laughs> you don't want to, so neither of you want to answer that question. No, you can ask, church, me, ask me again. I'll answer. What's it. the church? The church that we worship? No. What's the church? The church of God. Yeah, that's all the people that believe in in Jesus. Beautiful answer. That's all the people that believe in Jesus. God is building a church. He's calling people from all over the world into His church. This great unseen movement of people who believe that Jesus saved them and are waiting for him. And that's what this song from Gold City is about. God's building a church. Church has got eternal bright. It's almost time. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, better believe it. He's building a church. I really like that song a whole lot. I've been listening to that song for a long time. It stirs me up listening to that song today. Yeah, no, it's good. You like it? I love it. So you're 21 and you don't mind Dad's music? No, well, this is the music I grew up on, so I, I have an old soul in me for music. <laughs> an old soul. Humpty, <laughs> <laughs> oh, aren't you glad I'm choosing the music, mate? Yeah, well, at least we're not in trouble anymore. <laughs> hey, let me, let, me, let me tell today, I, I chose the music just once one week. Didn't even get past my second song choice and they caught me. Oh, no. <laughs> not me. Not me. No. <laughs> yeah, I got done. Oh, uh, well. We loved it. Hey, um, one of the reasons that I, I, you bring me so much joy, Danae, is because you're a part of that church. And I'm not talking, again, I'm not talking about an institution, not even talking about a denomination. Mm. I'm talking about this great movement of God's people all around the world mm. who've made decisions to follow him. He is your saviour. Yep. You've been baptised. You love yep. him. You're born again. Mm -hmm. And you shared a, a personal testimony. Yep. Um, in some ways, as, and I've asked you to share this testimony here on our radio program, mm. It'll, it'll open a, a little bit of a box into our family yeah. and what we've gone through because it hasn't all been easy for you growing up, has it? No. Things haven't always worked out. Mm. Um, but I wonder whether you'd be willing to share that testimony. Uh, but before you do, because this is, this is a very special testimony, it's a sacred thing. Hunty, I wonder if you could say a prayer, mate, before we do this testimony. My pleasure. Thanks. Dear Heavenly, Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come... Before you this afternoon on radio and on Facebook, Lord, I pray for a very special blessing for my great friend, Danae, as she shares her testimony. Lord, send your Holy Spirit to be with her, to give her the strength and the courage and the wisdom to share this with our viewers, Lord. Please bless her in your precious name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Magoo. No worries. Ever since I remember, we were the family that would be at church on Sabbath. We would be the people who would arrive when there was only one or two cars in the church parking lot, and we would be the ones that left when there was, you know, you guessed it, one or two cars in the parking lot. And, Dad, do you know who those two cars would be? Uh, I know who you're going to say, Hunty. It was Hunty and our good friend Wally. Yep. And they came every Sabbath... Like, no failure. It was amazing. And so I'm one of two children to my mother and father. My older sister, Hannah, was born in Auckland, New Zealand, where my parents were living for a couple of years. And soon after my sister um, was born, they moved back to Australia, where I was born a couple of years later. My father was a pastor of Runga Church at the time. Some of you guys may know him. His name is um, Lloyd Gronman, the That's Aussie me. pastor. That's me. <laughs> yeah, it is you. <laughs> Little plug for dad there. And my mother was a nurse. And so, you know, they were the classic stereotype. And after school, my dad would pick me up and he would be like to me, Danae, what are the 12 commandments? And, you know, I would be able on, to tw recite. 12 commandments? Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> it would be it could, because dad 
would say like th- this was just a practice that we had yeah. he would this is what i grew up on i'd jump in the car and you know what it wasn't just like um you shouldn't lie it's thou shall not lie <laughs> and it was like the old school type stuff but like this is what i grew up with and i loved it and but around when i was 6 years old my parents got into a divorce and divorces have now become a norm in today's society there are around 100 divorces happening every single hour in 2007 there was 47,963 divorces and one of them was our family and at the time I was still very young I was still in um, middle school learning about multiplication Um, I was young I was vulnerable I was really confused about this whole concept and the, that was the only thing like I knew my parents were together and they were together when my mum was around 19, 20 years old and my dad was in his late twenties. And the story about how I learned that they got together was that my mum was in a car with her friend and they were driving up north and her friend wanted to stop at this guy's house. And my mum was like, no, let's just keep driving. Let's just keep going. And, um, her friend was like, no, we're going to stop. And that's where they met. And I guess they just hit it off. And I still remember the house that we grew up in. And it was a beautiful house. Down the bottom, there was a lounge room where we would always have guests on Sabbath afternoon. They'd be playing guitar and singing. We'd be listening to the Gaither vocal band on the TV. Um, you had the kitchen, the laundry room, the garage, and finally dad's study. And dad's study was the room where I could always find him on his computer working. And he had this great large uh, brown bookshelf where he had a whole bunch of books at the very top. There was a glass jar filled with gold chocolate coins. <laughs> and on the good day, Dad would sneak us one that we could nibble on without Mum knowing. And then once you got out of the study, there was um, a stairwell that connected to upstairs. And on the right, we had a bathroom. Then following, you had Hannah's room, a spare room, my room, what we call the movie room, where we would watch movies like Auto Be Good and The Story Keepers. And then you had Mum and Dad's room. And, you know, as a little kid... The best room in the house is mum and dad's room. And I still remember faking nightmares and all that stuff just so I could squish between my two favorite people, which was mum and dad. One day we were in the car, just me and dad. My sister was at a Pathfinder camp and he looks at me and he goes, Magoo, we're going to get a dog. And I was ecstatic. Like, this is the best thing ever. We got to the place and there was heaps of dogs and they were all American staffies, but there was one girl dog. And being a little girl, that was the best thing ever. And I was like, dad, we have to pick that one. And dad was like, no, like, what about this one and this one? And I was like, no, we have to pick the girl because she also had white spots on her and she was the only one. So we got her and she, on the road home, she was squealing and carrying on. She was so little she could just fit in one hand and dad looked over at me and he asked Danae what do you think we should name the dog and you know what this is where dad went wrong you should never ask a little girl what you should name that dog because you know you're done for (laughs) and so I looked at this little dog and I looked at my dad and I was like we're gonna name this dog Lucky and immediately my dad looked at me and he goes absolutely not. We're not naming this dog Lucky. And let's just say one look at my face after he said no, he started calling that dog Lucky. (laughs) And I loved my life. I loved my family. I loved my friends. And I was a little kid just enjoying life, but quickly everything was changing. My parents called my sister and I down to the bottom of the stairs one day. And honestly, I can't remember exactly what they said, but my sister ran up the stairs and slammed her bedroom door. And I followed her as a knowing little sister and I opened that door and I was like, 
what's wrong? And she yelled at me, don't you get it? Like mum and dad are not getting back together. And I, I remember this distinctively. Like I just remember walking out of that room and I was so confused. Anyway, I don't know why. Maybe because I was too young. Maybe because like it hurt too much um, because Many people know that, like, even though you don't think little kids know what's going on, they are super observant. But they do. They know what's going on. I don't remember exactly the moving process into the apartment with my mom when my parents split, but one minute dad was in the house, and one minute I'd only see him sometimes after school and on the weekends. He moved into a place with his dog, Lucky, and it was just the two of them for the most part. And soon after, my dad bought this farm where he was living in a caravan while he was building new shed. And on the weekends, my sister, dad, and I crammed into this little caravan and we would watch movies called The Snowball Express on dad's laptop with all of us squished together and we would be cracking up laughing. But these are the memories with you, dad, that I love the most. I do. And dad would bring Hannah and I late at night in our sleeping bags and we would lie on the ground and look up at the night sky and dad would talk about how great this God is and how he takes care of us and how he was creator, the creator of all things, including the stars and the universe. And I was in awe of this man that created all things because I knew my dad was hurting, yet he was speaking so fondly about this man. During school, things started to change. I was given two letters, two report cards, two of everything sent home, and people started noticing, and people started asking questions, which is when a shrug started to become a continued answer for a lot of questions throughout the years. But I, as a little kid, was angry. I was a brat. I was angry at God because my understanding was that he did this right. He put my family through this, and he did this to me. And that was where my mindset was at, not because of sin in the world, but that's what I thought. And even though my parents tried to hide it, I did see them hurting. And my mum was really good at hiding it, and, but my dad, he was hurting a lot more on the outside. And you know, my dad, he really tried. With two girls growing up, he only had brothers. And so he was hard-pressed as a newly single parent with two girls on the weekend and on school holidays to take care of. But he himself was trying to get through this new way of life. There was an older lady at our church. What was her name, Dad? Marge. Marge. I'll tell you, Marge Bachelor. We love her. We do love her. And she was a lady that I really looked up to because I saw how much she loved my dad. And she would always cook us pre-cooked meals, which we would have 90% of the time. And they were always really yummy. And the other 10% of the time, it was dad's classic potato cooked in a microwave with olive oil and salt with a piece of white bread slapped on there. But honestly, as a kid who was a picky eater, that was like the best thing ever because it was all white. I don't think there was a like green on that plate at all. <laughs> but I saw my dad sometimes when I knew he didn't think that uh, we were looking and we were watching and he was really sad. He had Lucky Girl throughout this time we, um, and he says he's always grateful that he had her because dogs don't necessarily need to know everything and how you feel, but I know that she took care of him when Hannah and I couldn't, especially on Christmases when he was alone. And some people say, you know, don't be ridiculous. Like, it's just dog. But that did that dog did more than anyone else did at that time. And she was always there comforting you, Dad. And when we lost her, it was a great loss. Yeah. It was really sad. Getting ready for church, I remember during this time, Dad would ask me as a little girl, does this tie match this shirt? 
And to be completely honest, I had no idea. Mum did this, right? Not me. And so I picked I picked a tyre, just randomly picked one, and I was like, oh, I hope that's okay. And let's just say there were a couple people questioning the tyre choice he chose that day. And so I heard this, you know, I would be next to Dad when um, church would finish, when he would be shaking people's hands. And I ran home that day, um, and once we got out of the car and I looked up on my computer, what ties go with what shirt, and I was looking at the colour wheel, and I was looking at YouTube videos on how to tie ties for people because I wanted to be that person for you, Dad. I really did because that's what mum did, but mum wasn't there anymore. So as a little girl, I was determined to be that person for you because in we were growing up in Sydney and at that time, well, still at this time, Dad doesn't have family, like his um, close relatives or anyone in Sydney. And if anyone knows my mum growing up, mum is my biggest supporter. She comes to all the boring awards and everything and she sat there and she recorded them all. But growing up as a pastor's kid, what people call a PK, there tends to be a stigma um, that either the PKs go off the rails because their parents are too strict and too hard or they wear the long skirts and they're called goody two-shoes. And so growing up with that expectation, like it was really hard. For example, at camps, there would be Bible verse challenges and everyone would immediately look at me because you know, I was the PK, like, you should know this. And to be honest, I was embarrassed half the time because truthfully, I didn't know. My friends weren't past his kids and they knew more than I did. One night I came back from Sabbath um, with my dad in the car and he looked over at me and he goes, Magoo, what did I speak about today? And sometimes he does this, but he hadn't done it for a while. And I kind of sat there frozen and I was like, did I go to church? Yeah, I did. Did I know what was being spoken? Not really. Like I was with my friends. I'm I'm not paying attention to what is being said. And church became something that was so familiar that I had forgotten what I was going there for. I wasn't I like in my head I'm going there for my dad. I wasn't going there for Christ. I wasn't going there for my journey. And it was only in the past couple of years that I started to realize what forgiveness was. In my life, I try to be a forgiving person, but it does not come naturally to me. And I struggle the most when forgiving someone who hasn't done anything necessarily to me, but to someone I love. And growing up in the church with my dad as a pastor, and he's a pastor that preaches what he believes. Like, Dad, you do not shut up about it. He loves the Bible and he's on fire. And growing up with such a passionate dad, of course, you're going to hear people who don't necessarily like what you say. And I remember standing there and my sister, Hannah, we would hear some really nasty things from people. And we struggled in an environment where people were so mean. And like, why would we want to go to church when we know that people are so mean? Like God's love is about kindness. And I held grudges to my family, to God for myself and to other people for so long. But when I learned to let go and I realized that people's reflections in the church that were so awful weren't the reflections of God's character. A Bible verse that really helped during this time was Luke 23, verse 34, that says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. For at this time, Jesus was dying on the cross. And what I've learned over the years is that forgiveness is our biggest need because sin is our biggest problem. A lot of people struggle with forgiveness because they don't think they are worthy of it. But my friends, Jesus has already forgiven you the, the second you ask. 
this doesn't give you permission to abuse it though. Like doing things you know are wrong, but shrugging your shoulders and saying, oh, oh well, God's already forgiven me because that's not intentional asking for forgiveness. And over the years, I fell in love with God and somewhere in my life, it went from God doesn't need to tell me what to do to God, please tell me what to do. It went from God doesn't understand to God, I don't understand. And went from I don't need God to God, please never leave my side. And I realized that the other half of my heart was always with the divine one who created it in the first place. And dad, I do have to thank you because during my life, you were a pain and he always was messaging me, making sure that I was onto my Bible study. I was not playing basketball on the Sabbath. I was um, in line with my relationship and Look, I believe everyone has a story and a testimony. And for a lot of my life, I was like, oh, like, it's too sad. Like, how I really, like, came about it. And God took my life and he took that hurt and he turned it into something beautiful. Mm. My parents were divorced and I was a really angry girl. But I believe I've turned into someone that's a lot kinder and a lot more trusting. My, both my mother and fa- father have remarried to beautiful people. Mum got remarried to a guy called Michael, and they've had two beautiful children, Annie and Noah, who I love. They're my half-siblings. And Dad remarried to a beautiful woman named Liska, and she has two sons, Daniel and Emmanuel, and I love them. I do. And I just want to end on this Bible verse. It's 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, where God says he doesn't put anyone through any trials he knows they cannot handle. That's beautiful, my good. Mm. Beautiful. Wow. Um, You've been a witness to a lot of that yourself, Hunty, watching Danae go through this. I I sure have. I think the most special moment for me in my life so far, Mm. so far, maybe when you bring me grandkids, that'll change, (laughs) was the moment we walked out into the water there Mm. at... um, What's the name of that beach? Yeah, the beach. Shelley, was it Shelley Beach? It's right at the end, I think it was uh, up towards... Mm. The lighthouse. Yeah, the lighthouse. Right, Mm. right... Sydney Harbour. No, no. The other end, right Oh, yeah, up. Palm Beach. That's Palm right. Beach. Palm Beach, mm. yeah. On the smooth side of Palm Beach. Mm. And you got baptized and gave your life to Jesus publicly. Six years ago. Yeah. Mm. And he's been good to you. He has been good I'll to me. I've seen that. And you have. I've been a witness to it. You had it pretty rough for a while there. Yeah. But somehow you and God worked through it. Mm. It, was, it was a long journey and figuring out, you know, a lot of people get hurt by people in the church. Yes. You know? And it. And that causes a lot of people to walk away. Mm. But I wanted to figure out who God truly was. And you did. Yeah. Well, he came and he revealed himself to you. Yeah. You know why people get hurt in the church? Mm. Because the church is full of people that are hurt. Mm, Absolutely. Too often we look at the church and we think, oh, the church should be perfect. Mm. But God's building a church. And Mm. he's taken people like you who are wounded and broken who are in the church. Yeah. And rebuilding, recreating and healing you. Yeah. And I've always, I've, I've, that's how I've always been able to tolerate what you were calling, and it's true, the nastiness of some people in the church. Yeah. Often the way they're treating me is the way they're treating Jesus. Mm. And they're wounded and they're broken and they're lashing out like a wounded, broken animal does. Mm. And um, they just 
like you, you were lashing out. I saw it. I mean, it got so bad there. I don't know whether I should say this. You, you had to come and live with me. You were I marking did. up so bad at home with your mum, which was a pleasant time for us. <laughs> I think you came over to my place and lived how you wanted to, yeah, well, with no rules. Oh dear. But uh, but the thing is that God's brought you through, and if God can bring you through, He can bring our listeners too. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that testimony tonight. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. This song, Jesus, is still the answer. It's uh, reflective of what you've just shared with us today. Mm. He truly is. And this is three of our friends, Shamila, uh, Praveen, and May Peaky, singing this. Uh, they're regulars at New Hope. We love them, and it's a beautiful song. Jesus is still the answer. not really real while others say they know for sure is love you cannot feel but I know it's real within my soul for one day he cleansed and made me whole and Jesus Oh 
Jesus is the answer, and he always will be. Uh, Harold Harker, have we got you online there? Hi there, Lloyd. Yes, we're here. Um, when I was looking at this guy, Giordano Bruno, did I say that right? Yeah, that's fine. Giordano almost seemed like an Aussie, and I say that because he's always getting in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> he sure did, all his life. He's an interesting character. Um, when was he born and where? Well, he was born about the middle of the 16th century, 1548, in a little village near Naples. We'd call, call it Napoli if you lived in Italy. So he's Italian? Yes, he is. What did his father do? Well, his father was a professional soldier, so he was, you know, well up in the soldiery. Okay, so he was looked. he's coming from a family that's looked up to pretty much in society. Um, so Giordano is a young boy and he grows up. What did he actually become? Well, he became a Dominican friar. He was also a great mathematician. He was a philosopher and he was very interested in astronomy. I think looking at his life, you know, he's a very intelligent man, Very seems to be quite articulate, um, but he was also uh, very strongly, it seems, opinionated. Would that be fair to say? That's fair enough. He was certainly a guy who really looked into things and tried to get the basis of things, the meaning of life. Now, it's interesting when you look at his name at birth and what they named him later on. Tell us about that. Well, he was called Filippo to start with and then later uh, Il Nolano, uh, after the little place of Nola where he was born. Okay, so really, uh, is that a common practice or was this just an unusual uh, quirk in his yeah, life? We've had a few people that have called after the place where they were born. Okay, yeah. So at 14 years of age, uh, what does he do? Well, he went off to Naples, to Napoli there, and he would be studying humanities. He studied logic. Dialectics. He looked. He learned how to debate. So he was quite a, a strong personality, and he studied at the Augustinian monastery. He must have been pretty intelligent, Harold. When you're looking at his life, have to be very intelligent. When you look at his study and how well he did and how young he got into it, he turned seventeen. Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, he, in, as well as what he'd studied. He got interested in the arts of memory and memory devices, mnemonics, 
and how you remembered things. But when he was 17, he joined the Dominican convent and uh, he took the name because when you become a, a, a friar, you take the name and it was Giordano. The, the Dominicans back then, that would have been, would it be fair to say that would have been one of the major, if not the dominant order in Catholicism in Europe at that time? Yes, it was fairly uh, conservative too. Yeah, v- very Catholic, is that fair to say? That's true, yep. Yep. Now, he arouses suspicion. So, so he's only a young man, but already he's starting to arouse suspicion amongst those who are older in charge. What's happening there? Well, he just didn't take the, the status quo. He looked at all different things and even heresy, and he suspected then you're a heretic because he even thinks of that. And his attitude towards astronomy, remember what they did to Galileo at this time. Yeah. This guy was also looking at astronomy. So so really the the very fact that he's, his mind is open and that he's questioning, he hasn't made a move out of Catholicism, but the fact that he's open to questioning, this guy's already under suspicion. What happens in 1572? Well, he took the oath and became a priest. And he continued to study theology uh, in that convent. And the convent was not just for women, it was for guys there. Yep. And he became a fully-fledged priest. Okay, so now he's a priest in the Roman Catholic Church, but, but his mind is yep. still inquiring, it's still open, he's still questioning, he, he's, he's still on that road. Uh, what forbidden books and ideas was he reading about that was causing all this consternation amongst some of his superiors and, and colleagues? Well, Erasmus was the uh, uh, Dutch philosopher. He translated the New Testament. So amongst the books that Erasmus wrote on philosophy, he would have picked up the New Testament and he also picked up other ideas and thought, hey, Arian views, he, he really delved into heresy while he was still a priest. Is this why he got into trouble? It sure was. You know, during his life, He said twice he had been arraigned because he had thrown away images to the saints and he only kept his crucifix. So he was really not a great priest, but he was charged with heresy. He's kind of drifting toward Protestantism, isn't he? I mean, throwing the images away. That's right. So he gets charged. Were these charges true? Uh, Yes and no, because he was thinking about everything. Yeah, And uh, just because he thought of it, he would have been seen as a heretic. And so he took off for Rome. So, and, it, it uh, got, so what you're saying is it got so bad he had to flee, did he? That's right. And he went and, to Rome. Uh, he went to Rome. He even abandoned the Dominican order. And uh, he started wandering right through Europe looking for what I would say is truth. When he's wandering through Europe like this is he still a Dominican uh, priest friar or has he kind of drifted a bit away from that order he's drifted he's abandoned the order so he's not seen as a good Dominican anymore and he's just going seeing what this philosopher would say what this group would say what the Bible say. he looked at everything he's almost a wandering beggar that's correct a wandering uh, philosopher probably would be better 
Okay. He finally arrives in Geneva, which is probably an interesting place to go at that time. Um, what happens in Geneva? Well, everyone thought Geneva is the free place and you can't get arrested there. But Geneva was the centre of Calvinism. John Calvin was there. Did, did that uh, have an impact on his thinking? Calvin. Did Calvinism have a... Yes. And when, when we're talking yes, Calvinism, just so our leaders know, that's Protestantism. It's a brand of Protestantism. It so it did have an impact on his thinking. Yes, it did. He uh, uh, Calvinism, of course, says that everything is predetermined, and uh, but he became a, a Calvinist at this time. But he gets into so trouble he, in the right, free he was city. Right away from the yes, right so, away from the church. And he was now into Protestantism. But in the free city of Geneva, he gets into trouble. Yes, he does. Because uh, he dressed out as a cavalier soldier and he wouldn't be recognised as a priest. But then he, he would say things against a Calvinistic professor because he had an open mind. Yeah. And so he's communicated and he's tossed out of the Calvinist church. So his life seems to veer all over the place after that. Um, would that You're be right. fair to say? And he, he ends up in London in 1583. Um, what's he yeah. doing in London? Well, on the way, he went through Toulouse and got his doctorate in theology. Yep. And he even taught philosophy there. But then he uh, went to London and uh, he thought, now this is the place where I can uh, have a bit more freedom. And he stayed there uh, till about 1585. In fact, he was one who influenced the Elizabethan court because, remember, he's interested in astronomy, mm. he's interested in how you think, in debating and all sorts of things. He's quite a talented guy. He is, but he's still getting into trouble. It seems everywhere <laughs> he goes, this dude's in trouble. He has an interesting theory um, with Galileo, actually, about the Earth and the Sun, tell us about that. Well, he believed, just like Galileo, that the Earth moved around the Sun, whereas everyone else then thought that the Earth was the centre of everything. And the Sun and moved around the Earth. He really was, yeah. These and guys were ahead really of the... Was, go, go, sorry. And really, having a little pun on that, the bishop of this place, he took his ideas to fun. He said, your own head, which uh, rather than run around his brains and didn't stand still. So he said, you've got it all wrong in your mind. Yeah. Uh, well, the bishop was wrong in the end, wasn't he? So he loses support in England. Is that right? And and, and it's, is he forced, compelled to move again? Well, He's always a movement. He'd moved for 15 years, and so yeah. he says, I'll go over to Paris yep. and uh, I'll find a place or maybe I can teach over there. Yeah. So he's in Paris. He ends up in Germany. What happened to him there? Well, he didn't get a place to stay, but mm. he went on in Germany up to Wittenberg. Now, that was Luther's place. Yeah, yeah. And he became a teacher in the University at Wittenberg, and he was there for two years. So he would have been really uh, au fait with Lutheranism and the Protestantism of the time. Um, he doesn't stay there too long. He gets into no. trouble again. Would that be fair to say? He got excommunicated again. He got excommunicated <laughs> from the Catholic Church, from the Calvinist Church. 
and now he's tossed out of the Lutheran I, Church. I like this guy, Harold. <laughs> 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 he seems to be a man of conscience. That's what I see in him. Um, For sure. He's not prepared to bend to any system other than what he sees and uh, what he learns and, and perhaps as God leads him. He goes back to Italy. He's, he yep. goes for a job and someone else gets a job over the top of him. I found this interesting. Well, he went to Venice and he wanted the chair of mathematics to be the professor of maths mm. at Padua. But guess who got that? It was Galileo. And he got it and he, he didn't get the job. The, interest, so, uh, the interesting thing is about that, we'd go, oh, Galileo, he should get it. But Giordano Bruno, in, in many ways, was every bit his match. Was, is that fair to say? That would be right. He would have supported Galileo in yeah. his views. Yep. But he he a mind that thought of everything just about. Actually, both of them getting into trouble, by the way. Um, and, and the <laughs> trouble did. continues with this man. Tell us about how, he, how and why he died. Well, you know, he was denounced by the Inquisition, just like Galileo was. Yep. And he was taken to Rome on the orders there. He was put in jail. He refused to retract his views. And so he was condemned for a number of things, his pantheistic beliefs, his believing of the universe that had other inhabited worlds. Now, we know he was well ahead of his time. Yeah. But then they said, no, this is the end. So they gagged him, they tied him to the stake, and they burnt him alive in the Campo di Fiori. It's the place, a little square in, in Rome. It's very sad. Um, when you look at his life, a man on a discovery, uh, what is he remembered for? Well, I think he's remembered for someone who was investigating and trying to find truth wherever he went. He was a searcher. Um, he was. Is there anything? And part of it was the Bible. Is there any? Yeah, part of it was the scriptures. Not that we're saying this guy was a great Protestant reformer or stood up for God and was champion the cause, but he was looking for God all his life. Is, is there anything from his life we can learn today? I think we just look for God and see that God has created the universe. This guy would have believed that, and he was ahead of his time, and we need to see the place God has and let him lead our lives. We need to search, just as he did, don't we? We need to search. Correct. Very interesting fellow, Harold, and thanks for bringing him to um, our attention. Wish you the best this Anzac Day, and uh, we'll talk to you again shortly. Yep. Thanks, Harold. God bless. Yeah. See ya. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. This song, Linda Randall, she's um, part of the Gaither group, actually, uh, sheltered in the arms of God. I think whenever we go back, Hunty, yep. to these times, ch tumultuous times of the Middle Ages that Harold takes us to, uh, people being burned at the stake and being. Mm. You know, persecuted, chased into caves, massacred for their faith, for their loyalty to God. Oh, they were dark times. Mm. And this song, I think, is really how they lived. They knew they might die, often they did, but they knew that whether they lived or died, they were with God. And, they were, and so, because of that, they were sheltered in His arms. <laughs> i 
song absolutely it's a song that brings me a lot of comfort sheltered in the arms of god well bible study is a bit different today hunty it um, is yeah yes yeah, so, quite a treat today but people might be asking because i think they're wondering uh danae those 12 commandments yeah what was happening there so, because the bible only has 10 that's right. right but dad would always sit us down and he would Say another two and be like, now. What are the other two? Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love others. Yeah, that's right. Mm. <laughs> You'd chuck those two on top and make sure we knew them. You know why I used to teach you the commandments? Because I used to pray that God would take them out of your head and put them in your heart. Nice. Yeah. And he did. 
So that's why I was doing that. Yeah, no, it was good. This Bible study is a bit different today. It is a recording that I did for television, but it's so important. And I wanted to share it with you. So I got Hunty to record it off the television to put it here on radio. Bear in mind as you listen to it, this is for television. So on the odd occasion, I'll be talking about something on the screen. It makes no difference to the message, Hunty. It's called Breaking Chains. God, you can't do that. What can't God do or what do I not want God to do? Roll it, Hunty. Roll it. G'day, my name is Lloyd Grolleman. I'm the Aussie Pastor. Welcome to a brand new series called Breaking Chains. And tonight we're looking at the very challenging subject, God, you can't do that. Chris Watts and Shannon Ruchuk, I think I said that right, Ruchuk, they fell in love in 2010 and they married on on November 3, 2012. Good looking couple. They had two daughters, Bella Marie Watts, she was born on December 17, 2013, and Celeste Catherine C.C. Watts, July 17, 2015. And when you look at this couple, when you look at this family, this looks like the all-American, happy, got-it-together, successful family. In the early hours of August 13, 2018, in Frederick, Colorado, this American oil field operator, Christopher Watts, murdered his pregnant wife, Shannon, she was 34, with a baby, Nico, just a little boy, hadn't been born. He murdered them by strangulation and their two other children, Bella, four, and Celeste, three, by smothering them. An absolute heinous crime. He buried Shannon in a shallow grave near an oil storage facility and he dumped his children's body into one of the crude oil tanks that you can see. Watts initially maintained his innocence in his family's disappearance, but was arrested on August 15 after confessing to murdering Shannon in an interview with detectives. He later admitted to murdering his children. And on November 6, 2018, Watts pleaded guilty to multiple counts of first-degree murder as as part of a plea deal when the death penalty was removed from sentencing. He was sentenced to five life sentences without the possibility of parole, three to be served consecutively. And here you can see the Dodge Correctional Institution prison in Wapun, Wisconsin. Probably said that wrong. Wapun, 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 I don't know, Wisconsin. And he's going to spend the rest of his natural life there. And they had to put him in this prison because if they'd put him in a prison in Colorado where he committed the crime, he wouldn't have survived. They would have murdered him. And while in prison, horror of horrors, Christopher Watts met Jesus Christ. He said, I never knew I could have a relationship with God like I do now. And I just can't believe it. This murderer who murdered his wife and his two children and his unborn baby, His oldest little four-year-old daughter, as he was trying to smother her, looked up into his eyes, held up her hands and pled, Daddy, Daddy, please no. And he carried on with the murder. And when I hear that Christopher Watts has given his life to Jesus Christ, I cry out, no, God, you can't. No, no, no. And yet God, Jesus, he can Look at this, John chapter 8. This is a story that's 2,000 years old, and this is Jesus. This is my Jesus. This is what Jesus is like. Verse 1, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. He's in Jerusalem. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and he taught them. So Jesus is in Jerusalem. 
This is the Jesus who Christopher Watts claims he's given his life to. This is a Jesus that this murderer of his wife and his two kids and his unborn, he claims has come now and saved him. Early in the next morning, he went back at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down to teach them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees who were after Jesus, who wanted to trap Jesus, who wanted to destroy Jesus, they brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and they put her in front of the crowd. Now, what most of us don't realize is that this is not only a setup, but they get this woman. She would have been a young woman and they dragged her probably naked in the act itself out of the bed and into the temple square in front of everybody. She could not have been at a lower place in her life. And adultery in those days was a serious crime. She should have been taken out to the city gates and stoned until she was dead. This woman is in real, real trouble and she's been brought to the feet of Jesus. I want to tell you one thing tonight. If you get nothing else of what I'm saying, if you are in trouble tonight, if you are down and out, if you're in a bad place, if you're in pain and you're suffering guilt and shame for your sin, then there's no better place. I don't care whether you believe or whether you don't, there's no better place than to be at the feet of Jesus. And these Pharisees who hated Jesus and had no time for this woman, by the way, where's the man? Where is he? I don't know. But these Pharisees who hated Jesus inadvertently bring this woman to the safest place in the world. And if that woman is you, go to Jesus. When she gets to the feet of Jesus, he doesn't argue with the Pharisees. He doesn't engage with them. He doesn't even talk to the woman. He just bends down into the dirt and in the sandy street there in the temple square, he begins to write. What did he write? We just don't know. But I'm guessing... He might have been writing down the sins of the Pharisees who had brought this young woman naked and screaming by the hair and threw her at the feet of Jesus. I think he might have been, I think Jesus might have been writing down their sins. And from the the Bible says from the oldest, see the oldest to the wisest, to the youngest, they slowly disappeared. Then this, and this is why I love Jesus. And I get emotional about this. This is why it's one of my favorite stories in all the Bible. John chapter 8, verse 10 and 11. Now Jesus talks to the woman. Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, she looks up into his eyes. I reckon when she looked up into his eyes, she knew she was safe. He said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. And that's my point tonight. Jesus does not condemn sinners. Jesus, and and I, I, I can barely believe this, I can barely teach this, I can barely preach this, I can barely fathom it, and I, I don't even know whether I like it in this particular instance with this story. I'll be honest with you. But Jesus does not condemn Christopher Watts for his heinous crime. He doesn't condemn me for my crimes and my sins. And he doesn't condemn you either. Jesus is about the only person who will not condemn you. 
Your friends will condemn you. Your family will condemn you. Often the church will condemn you. Society will condemn you. Oh, they're very quick to condemn you. The workplace will condemn you. You might lose your job. You might end up in jail for your sins. Jesus, I want you to get this tonight. It doesn't matter whether you believe in him or not, whether you've come to him or not. If you're in a bad place, if you've sinned, Jesus won't condemn you. And the Bible has some very interesting stories. Adam and Eve, they betrayed God. Jesus did not condemn them. He saved them. Abraham, Abraham now, now he is the, the pin-up boy of Jewish history. Abraham had multiple wives and affairs. God did not condemn him. He saved him. Rahab who was in Jesus' direct ancestral lineage, was a prostitute in Jericho. Jesus did not condemn her. He saved her. Ancient Nineveh sacrificed her children to pagan gods, massacred entire nations, sending the women and children into slavery and impaling the men on these nations that they took out on stakes. God sent, I couldn't believe this, God sent Jonah. And he did not condemn them. He saved the city. Peter portrayed Jesus at his most trying hour on the night of his crucifixion when nobody, when nobody was with Jesus, when he had no friends. He looked across at Peter and Peter was betraying him. And yet Jesus loved him. Jesus did not condemn him. And Jesus saved him. The one thing all these people over the centuries have had in common is that although caught in awful sins, Jesus never condemns them. And do you know why? Because Jesus died the death price for the sins of every one of them. Jesus died for Christopher Watts. Jesus died for those sins. Jesus paid the penalty for those sins. And as unfathomable as it is for us, if Christopher Watts even looks sideways at Jesus, if he just whispers his name, I am telling you because Jesus died for him and paid the death price for him because Jesus loves him, because Jesus created him, because he's Jesus' son, lost he might be. If he, if Christopher Watts even whispers his name, Jesus will come to him in a rush and he will not condemn him even though he's crimes are heinous, Jesus saves him. And Jesus does the same for you. He'll not condemn you because he died for your sins and he died for your sins because he loves you. And because he loves you, he will not condemn you. He will not condemn you. He will not condemn you. He will come for you and he will save you. He will save you. He will save you. One thing you can be sure of, if Jesus will not condemn Christopher Watts, then he won't condemn you and he won't condemn me either. And this is where we get into the realm of great discomfort for many people. If Christopher Watts is fed income, if his repentance is real, and if he's come to Jesus to be saved, then not only will Jesus pay the price for his sins on the cross, not only will Jesus forgive him and save him, and this is unfathomable, but this is Jesus. One day there'll be resurrection. And Jesus will bring back to Christopher Watts, heinous murderer. Repentant, heinous murderer. Resurrection. Jesus will bring back his wife and his two little children that he murdered. 
and little Nico, the baby in his wife's womb, who never got a chance for life. I'm going to say it again. If Jesus will do that for Christopher Watts, he'll do it for you too. Just ask him. He'll come when no one else will. He'll save when you don't deserve it. He won't condemn you. He won't judge you. He's going to love you. He's going to save you. He's going to save you. He's going to save you. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. In many ways, uh, God took Christopher Watts, who's in prison, and set him free. And it's unbelievable. Mm. It's unbelievable. And that's what this song is about from Woody Wright. Thank God I'm free. It's a beauty. I think you're going to enjoy it. For a long time I traveled Down a long, lonely road My heart was so heavy And sin I sank low Then I heard about Jesus Oh, what a wonderful hour I'm so glad that I found out He would bring me out through His saving power Thank God I am free, free, free From this world of sin Washed in the blood of Jesus I've been born Taken his fight like a blind man who God gave back his sight, like a poor wretched beggar who's found fortune and fame. I'm glad that I found out he would bring me out his holy. Bring me out and show me the way 
What a ripper of a song. Did you enjoy that, mate? Yeah, yeah I like that. I think it's... Um I think it's uh, true about what happens when you meet Jesus Christ. You get set free. It's not a cliche. Free from so much. Free from the bondage of addictions and sins and um, free from guilt and shame of horrific, as we saw in our Bible study, crimes and um, sins. So, yeah, no, nah, it's a great song. All righty. And Woody Wright sings it well too, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. I... Have you enjoyed having Danae on set today? I really, really have. Yeah. <laughs> Stop out. <laughs> I'd, love, I'd love to make her. I'd love to make her a regular. Oh yeah. Oh, fine, you've convinced me. <laughs> you know what? We've got what about eight minutes left? Let's get into ask the Aussie pastor. Yeah, okay. All righty. You so, like this bit, don't I you? Do. <laughs> and you're, you're looking segments. for the hard questions. Hey, by the way, is it too late for someone to send in a question? Uh, no, look, uh, well, yeah, it is for today. But you know what? If you'd like to send us a question, we'll take it more on it next week. There's two ways you can send your questions to us. You can text them to us on 0488880851, or you can email us, and the email address is theaussiepastor at gmail.com. And I think for the best question next week, we might give a prize. Yeah, let's, let's give a prize. And that prize will be yep. a beautiful Bible. We like to give Bibles out on our show yep. of well, whatever do. version you choose. And, Hunter, you've got to make sure it's leather-bound. All right. We'll make it a nice leather-bound Bible. Of whatever version you choose, for the person that sends in what Hunty judges, not me, yep. you can have this on your head, mate. Okay, I'm waiting. Okay, well, but it's got to be a version we can get. Like, don't pick a language that doesn't exist. That, that Hunty <laughs> chooses to be the best question. So one more time. I know we're running out of time, Hunty, sure. but how do they, how do they send right. their questions in? Send us your questions. Text them to us on 488 880851 or you can email them to us and the email address is theaussiepastor at gmail.com. Okay, mate. All right, here we go. First question. Why can't a Christian believe in evolution? Do you have an answer to that today? Well, that's a hard one and a heavy one. Do a lot of your friends who are Christians believe in evolution? They do in a certain aspect. You know, they believe that, you know, when God said, um, let there be light, like it was like, quick and like there's some parts of evolution where they believe that like I don't know, animals evolve yeah christians some of them are but a lot of them don't they just go by what the bible says okay i'm going to swing that back to you hunty why do you think a christian can't believe i have a straight answer on this and it's a pretty quick one but i'm just interested in what you think Oh, look, my answer's quite complicated. I say to the evolutionists and the atheists who think that nothing with no catalyst exploded into everything, I think that takes more belief than an okay. engineer created yeah, something. Yeah, but, so. but we're not talking to, to them. We're talking about Christians. Why can't a Christian believe in evolution? Have well, you there's, got there's evidence, like in the Golden Staff Bug that's in hospitals, it mutates a little bit over time. That's adaption, to, not adap evolution. That's right, but because there are these adaptions... Um, that give that gives the evolutionists you hate. Yeah, God. but you, he's swinging around like a politician <laughs> here. Why can't a Christian believe in evolution? Well, we we don't because the Bible says and God says I created you. So is that it? Well, in my image, that's no, beautiful. Is that it? No, I'm sure I'm sure you've got the rest of the answer. No, no, it's not that. I actually think your answer is pretty good one. If 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 evolution was true, then God's a liar. True. 
Because God said in the beginning, I created the heavens and the earth. He didn't say it evolved, and he didn't say he used evolution to bring it into place. He actually said, I created it. And then he goes further and he says what he did. It's his words as he describes what he did over the next six days. Mm. So if, if evolution, if you're a Christian and you believe in evolution, you've got a problem with God's honesty, that would be the first thing. Yep. The second one, which is even bigger for me than that, although that is fundamental, is God. Can God's word be trusted? And when I say God's word, not just the Bible, but can God, what God says in the Bible be trusted? Well, I've made a stand on that. No, you have Hunty and you have Magoo. Mm. Yeah, it can be, but here's the big one for me. What's that? If evolution existed, then there was no six-day creation. There was not necessarily Adam and Eve. There was not necessarily the fall of man. There was not necessarily then the promise of Jesus of a saviour and Jesus' death on the cross is brought into question because there was never a fall. Oh, mm. wow. Do you get that? Yeah, that's good. And to me, that is just, that is a devastating position to take as a Christian, the evolutionary one, because you're calling into, to, because the fall of man is in that creation narrative. It's right there in the middle of it. And if you're not going to accept that, well, then you can't accept the. If you can't, can't accept the creative, the creation narrative, you can't accept the fall of man. And if there's no fall of man, there's no need of a savior, and there's no need of Jesus on the cross. To me, that's explosive. That's just an incredible, powerful reason why you cannot accept evolution as a Christian. Mm. Mm, and in fact, if you're a Christian and you're believing in evolution, you really need to stop and have a good, hard look at where you're at and what you believe and why you're claiming Christianity. Mm. All righty, next question. <coughs> if the commandment says, do not murder, then why does God put people to death? Isn't he breaking his own law? Magoo? Dang, these questions are like hard. They are. They got, don't I've, give us easy questions out there, Humpty. I've got this answer. Well, I'm going to come. I will swing to you in a minute. I'm going to give. I give the youngest and the ladies first. Have you got an answer, okay, or would you like on. to pass? If the what was the question again? Sorry. Okay, so if the commandment says do not murder, then why does God put people to death? Isn't He breaking His own law? God putting people to death. Yeah, there's um, lots of opportunities. The flood in the yeah the flood, oh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. Sodom and Gomorrah. Hunty and I went there to the old side of Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, God blew a atomic oh, hole yes. there. And there's, there's, even to this day, nothing grows there. There's a there's a dead sea. Yeah. I mean, that place has never recovered from God did. I mean, he blew it sky high. There's, yeah. You can look at it however you want, Hunty. If you're going to believe the biblical narrative, that happens. So it's a pretty good question. It is. I think that, like, in, in circumstances like this, I have to keep reminding myself that don't think for a second that God wasn't upset doing that. Like if you get, but is he breaking his own law when he says don't murder or don't kill? Mm. Do you want to swing it? <laughs> ah, she's she's done a dad there, Hunter. She swung well the hard done, question well up. Done, she put the monkey on your back. Yes. Well, I've got the answer because I've heard it from you before. I I, I struggled with this problem and this question many times, and and you yourself, Lloyd, you explained it to me, and I've got that stuck in my head for life. Yeah. And that's all about sovereignty, and I'll, I'll leave it to you to explain. But you know what I'm going to. <laughs> Well, Look, I'll, I'll explain who, it, but, who, but who you, owns you the, explain it better. If Hunty gives me a car, who, and, and he gives me, uh, if if Hunty lends me a car, mm. so he lends it to me, my yeah. car breaks down, so I can have a lend to your car, and he gives me his crummy old Jeep. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Who owns the car? Hunty. 
Can he come and get it back whenever he wants? Yeah. If he comes and gets that car, he's got a spare set of keys. Mm. So he, uh, he, him and I get in a bit of an argument. We never argue, do <laughs> we, Hunty? Oh, no, never. I don't we know, get in a bit of an argument, and Hunty comes, he's got his own set of keys, and he gets those keys, and he takes that car back to his house. Mm. Can I then ring the police and say, Hunty stole on my car? No. Why not? Because it's his car. Under law, like it'd have his name. Okay. Bingo. Who owns life? God. What does he do when he gives it to us? He lends it to us. Lends life. He lends it to us. It belongs, life belongs to him. The technical, you can look at it in the, the dictionary, the definition of murder to kill is to take something that doesn't belong to you, your, someone else's life. So when I, when I take your life, yeah. I've taken something that is not mine. In fact, it's actually God's. Mm. So but is when, that breaking his own law? I, but when God comes and takes your life, mm. say in the flood or Sodom and Gomorrah, mm. Who owns life? Who owns that life force that's in you? God. God. Yeah. So he's not taking something that's not his, it's his. Mm. And so he hasn't murdered anybody. Does that make sense? Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Does that make sense to you, Hunty? Yeah, when you gave that to me, that helped me a lot because I had struggled with, with that. And a lot of the atheists that I, that I battle with on Facebook, they, they pull out all the time and say, well, God's a murderer. And he says, in the commandments, don't murder. Mm. Well, I think we've run out of time. <laughs> we have. This show's come. You know, it's been very interesting having Danae on it, hasn't it? It's been great having Danae. This Thank last song us. is from young people like you, Magoo. Tell it on the mountain. It's one of my favourite. Fountain View Academy. It's beautiful. Enjoy. Looking up from the valley of fear You can see doubt off in the distance And you're about to lose heart right here But don't ever give in, don't ever give up God is with you and you'll overcome The mountain will tell you That you can't make it over
told you it was a good song. Yeah. Love Great that song. song. That's why I play it so much on our show. It's been a joy to have you on the show today, Danae. Thank you. It's been fun. Yeah, it has. We'll have you on again. In fact, we're just talking uh, in between how we'd like Danae to get together for friends and put out a program themselves, Hunty, for our platforms. That would be great. Yeah, it I'll would work be. on it. Yeah, yeah. I want to invite you to church uh, this coming Sabbath at New Hope. Where is that, Hunty? Yeah, please join us for Samuel Place, Quakers Hill, just behind the Aldi. We start at 10 o'clock every Saturday. We often mostly have lunch, and it's a great time, so join us. Yeah, there's lunch on. Stay for lunch. Vegetarian lunch. Uh, I've got to be very careful on my diet with that one, Hunty. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and if you can't f- come to New Hope because we're in northwest Sydney, um, look up and find another Adventist church. We're just about everywhere all around this great big country of ours. And you go, you're going to get a warm welcome, you're going to have a good time, and you're going to have an experience with Jesus. That's it. Well, again, thanks for being with us today. I'm just going to say a prayer to close the program. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your grace and for your mercy. On this Anzac Day, again, I pray that you will be with the... Families of those who are grieving lost loved ones. I pray, Lord, that you'll be with the veterans who've come home who are wounded in heart and soul and body. And, Lord, I pray for the safety of our nation, that uh, you will protect us from enemies abroad, that you will continue to put your loving hands over us to keep us safe and to keep us free. Your freedom we thank you for in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Amen. 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 My name is Lloyd Grolleman. I'm the Aussie pastor, and I love you. Hey, Danae, do you love them all out there? I sure do. And my name's Hunty, and I love you guys too. But you know what? As much as we all love you, Jesus loves you a whole heap more. See you next time. See you next time. Thanks for joining the Aussie Pastor. If you enjoyed today's program and would like to find out more about Jesus, our ministry, or ways to support us, go to findjesus.tv.